Hello, and welcome to Connecting Hawaii Business on ThinkTech Hawaii. My name is Kathleen Lee, owner of Kathleen Lee Consulting, and I am your host for this program. You can catch all of our ThinkTech Hawaii shows on thinktechhawaii.com, as well as on ThinkTech Hawaii's Facebook and YouTube channel. For today, I am excited to introduce our guest. He is a multidisciplinary leader, and I would like for him to define that. Um, we have Joy Barua, President and CEO of Finance Insurance. Joy, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Aloha, everyone. Well, thank you again for um, coming on, and I'm excited for you to talk about your experiences. And before we do that, could you introduce yourself to our viewers out there? Sure. Uh, once again, aloha, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm uh, Joy Barua with uh, Finance Insurance uh, Limited, which is part of the Finance Factors family of companies. I'm the president and CEO of Finance Insurance Limited. Wonderful. So um, I know when I first approached you for this interview, you had given me great guidelines on where to go about it. And, you know, when I, when I do run into you and, and when I talk to you, you have a lot of ideas so let's kind of whittle it down um what exactly is multidisciplinary leadership i think that's a great question um it's actually um if you think about leadership as being something that allows you to grow vertically in a certain field so for example if you're pursuing a career in marketing um you know you work in firms pr sort of you know the laterals similar types of jobs, external affairs, and so forth, and you build a career. Uh, that's vertical. But when you do that across different industries um, and also in different roles that are similar but in different sectors, so for example, say you're doing marketing in the public sector versus doing marketing PR in the private sector. It could be for small or large business. Uh, you could also look at the expanded family of different roles that are similar to marketing, for example, external affairs, doing government relations, doing community relations, just to name a few among them. And I think in that process, you amass uh, a lot more broader knowledge than being uh, compared to when you would amass that knowledge, say, in a, working just for a particular company over years. And so I think it helps you see things not only from different perspectives, but also at different levels, scales. Uh, marketing, for example, as you know, it's all about audience engagement, again, using that as a hypothetical example to illustrate my point, I think, um, you know, it just gives you a more robust, comprehensive uh, view and also opens doors to possibilities. And in that process, you, uh, you become more integrated thinker and, uh, you know, your experience is also, um, you know, uh, that much more amplified through the, through the work that you do and the application of so that's just my quick and dirty. Of course, you could look at it in other ways. Uh, so throughout my career, um, you know, I've, I've held many different roles in the sort of leadership context, of course, the functional areas. Uh, I was CFO, CEO, CMO, um, and, and obviously each and every one of them are different fields. So there are, there are the functional diversity and learning those different disciplines. Uh, but also looking at it in different sectors. So being a CEO in an insurance company is very different from being in, being the CEO and being at the helm running a nonprofit organization. And so, um, you know, for me, that uh, multidisciplinary is both across functions as well as industries. And uh, I've learned a lot, 
you know, uh, and just to say that would be an understatement, but I'm uh, blessed to have, um, you know, found good meaning and true meaning behind what multidisciplinary truly means. It changes your views on things. Let, let's run with that. So I have seen this on both ends, whether it is um, a, an individual looking to transition to uh, from one sector to another or companies who are hiring. So let me attempt to break down this question in two parts. As someone who is looking for, or in, in that leadership space, such as you have been, how does one go about in transitioning from one sector to another that may seem completely different? Like, for example, you went from um, private, right? From Kaiser to government, which is the city, to now finance insurance. How does one go about in doing that? First part of the question, and I can do this with you because I know you're like, <laughs> I, I already know what you're thinking about this. So there's that part. And then on the employer part, how do you go about in recognizing um, that just because someone doesn't have leadership experience in, let's say, finance, but they have leadership in government, like somehow that can be um, transferable. Like, I don't know if you can, you, you kind of, you get the, the <laughs> question, but the gist of it, right? On both ends. Sure, sure. Uh, thank you. Uh, great question, by the way. So I think, um, you know, the first part of it is, you know, start by knowing that you don't have everything figured out. That's a given. You can never, even um, in, a, in a certain industry, if you're working, say, you're going from company A to company B as the CEO, there are new things you learn, the people, the stakeholders. I mean, just everything will be different. So there's a certain uh, aspect of newness that you have to balance with what you know. Uh, however, when you're looking at a completely different sector, obviously, uh, there are, relatively speaking, there are a lot more unknowns. And I think it starts with building a healthy appetite to embrace uncertainty and uh, being able to figure out things that you don't know and not being too hard on yourself, but also being authentic enough to admit what those things are that you don't know. And that would help you build um, healthy curiosity to learn those things objectively, openly, so that they can be meaningful learning experiences. And so in that process, uh, whether it's through an interview, which is the gateway you need to go through to sort of pitch yourself, um, you know, one needs to be versatile enough and honest enough to be able to speak from, you know, a place of being very transparent that here are the experiences I have, here are the experiences or certain qualifications I don't. However, uh, here's how you're able to um, think about the portability of experiences or the applicability of these experiences that you have. So for instance, if you are great at solving people problems, and even though you're not interviewing, interviewing necessarily for an HR role or a people role, the fact that you know how to, you know, it speaks to the greater uh, picture about stakeholder management, understanding people, how your intuition works. And so being able to speak to that will communicate a lot about how you work with people. And it's less about the, um, the discipline itself. It's more about who you are as an individual and how you conduct yourself as a leader and how that speaks about your own unique, authentic self. And I think that goes a long way to demonstrate how, um, you know, you're willing to learn the new because, you know, in leadership roles, you're constantly in a uh, state of what I would call a non-status quo mode. It's always different. And being able to demonstrate that is a great way to get in through the door. Uh, to the second part um, of your question, I think being able to figure things out 
and uh, not being too hard on yourself because it's you have to be able to chalk it up to learning experience. I'm sure we hear a lot about uh, the normalization of failure as a great way to learn things, right? As a way to accumulate experience. And it's important that, um, you know, not just say it, but believe it and live that discipline. And not that failure is your goal, but failure as a stepping stone to get to success. And so with that, one becomes um, a leader that's committed to constant learning, if you will, whether it's the work, the industry, uh, the stakeholders, the ever-changing environment. And so in today's world, more so than ever, uh, being a dynamic leader, dealing with sort of the ever-growing, ever-evolving uh, variables uh, really helps differentiate those who have a better appetite, a better willingness to learn and adapt versus those who are less willing. I hope that answers your question. It does. It does. Um, but let's go further into like the employer end. Um, and I know you've had experience with that as well, with, with hiring people. Like, mm -hmm. How can employers go about in recognizing individuals that can be great leaders in, this in, in the industry that they're in, even if they don't have the background for mm -hmm. that particular sector? Uh, great point. There's always a first. Even great leaders will tell you where they started. And, you know, in retrospect, there is always a great narrative or a story uh, one could share about how it all started. So I think um, for employers, I think they have to be willing to take a, leap, uh, take a leap of faith. Ideally, in a perfect world, you would want leaders to show up with a sign saying I'm qualified and it's a copy and paste, pretty obvious, um, you know, people are out there. Uh, but, in, you know, seldom that's the case, as we all know. Uh, for those uh, who are employers, I would just encourage employers to be more mindful of, uh, mindful about being more open-minded. We hear a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is definitely a part of it. And more than just using it as a way to report statistics about how you uh, hire people with certain demographic profile and so forth. Beyond that, being able to speak to what you don't know. Um, and and you know, I, I actually do a lot of behavioral interviews, um, you know, behavioral interviewing in addition to the typical interview, you know, the cookie cutter sort of the HR questions that you do, because it tells you a lot about someone's willingness and how they would fit in. Because, um, you know, on paper, you know, the pedigree is oftentimes there if you meet the minimum qualifications, whether it's the tenure, the degree you need to have, et cetera, et cetera, licensing. But uh, when you actually meet someone, it'll tell you the difference between someone that could be, you know, shows up, interviews perhaps very well on paper, but how do you sort of try to get to that point of discerning whether or not they would be a good fit? Do they have the mental stamina, the leadership stamina, the willingness to kind of embrace the challenge? So for employers, I think uh, from a diversity standpoint, what you don't know, there's no such thing as a perfect business, right? you know, which is why we are in a niche, right? You're good at something, you're not good at everything. Question is, what do you want to be good at? What skill sets, what leadership attributes is necessary for you to bridge that gap to get to that point of excellence, whether it's your short-term strategic plan or long-term, and being able to then distill it down to how you hire and select people. And so I think uh, more than just treating it as a, you do a bunch of interviews and select people, you have to be very intentional and engaged in that process. And you can never discount the importance of diversity in that regard. Yeah. So for on the flip side, 
as employers are sort of working on that, I would encourage employers to do more of that. Um, you know, prospective employees should try to think about how they can differentiate themselves. We're all unique human beings. We're all unique individuals. I'm not sure that professionally we give ourselves enough credit when we show up to express that differentiation. And whether it's, you know, simple things like, oh, I love to use humor as a way to express myself or, or kind of do the eyes breaking or what, what have you. And, you know, those are attributes that, and, and um, you know, we oftentimes um, keep guarded and we stay reserved. I think, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? You just won't get a job, perhaps. Again, worst case scenario. But being able to just bring that about up front so that you can, I mean, my way of expressing it is you can expedite the honeymooning phase and get straight down to who you are. And, and the fastest you can get there, the quicker you're able to decide whether or not that employer is the right fit for you, just as much as that employer can decide whether or not you're the right fit for them. And it's a process of discovery. Uh, I mean, you know, you move on to the next opportunity and over time, all you're accumulating is experience, which is really awesome over time and you make a start somewhere. And make the best out of it. You know, your environment is truly your playground. And, uh, you know, you have to be able to look at everything as your raw materials. And that would determine how resourceful you are. So I'll give you an example. When I started my first job, as I was talking to you, it sort of came to mind. Um, you know, I was working in a nonprofit doing an internship. And there was an opportunity to write a business plan so that I would have a full-time job, which is the equivalent of writing a grant. Now, uh, freshman year of business school, you don't learn about business plans. You're doing your sort of freshman classes. But I was intrigued by the opportunity to, hey, you know, this thing could actually land me a job. And so uh, we didn't have Google back then where I could, you know, <laughs> look up sample business plans and, you know, that sort of thing. So long story short, I ran around talking talk to people from the Small Business Development Center to people I knew, people who I even didn't know, but knew that they are a great resource. And the aggregation of all that encounters and learning, I was able to put together, put into a business plan. And long story short, you know, the business plan did get funded and I had a full-time job. And I, you know, I'll admit that my first job uh, as a project manager, I mean, I was really mesmerized by the title. Oh, wow, I'm a manager. Maybe I don't need to go to school anymore. But that set the tone for me. And, and it was sort of a validation to myself that, hey, you know, I did this. And, you know, imagine what else I could do. And it just sort of started the process. So, you know, there's hit and miss, but you have to be able to start somewhere and don't be afraid to start because if you don't start, there's not a journey to be talked about or to be had or experienced. That's a good one, Joy. I feel like I should put that like on a poster or a bookmark or something. That's great. <laughs> That's, and thank you for sharing that story. We are going to go on a short break, but when we return, um, Joy, I would love for you to delve more into um, making connections with people, starting with networking. So we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Connecting Hawaii Business on ThinkTech Hawaii. Today, we have Joy Barua, President and COO of Finance Insurance, talking about multidisciplinary leadership and creating genuine connections with people. So Joy, when we left off, you were talking about how you had um, created something for yourself and you made connections by reaching out to people. And I would love for you to talk about networking. So let's bring up the first slide um, about networking. And Joy, thank you again for sharing your top 10. I'm sure you have more. Could you go over um, these points? I know I, I took out some, but the the point is that these are your very back to basics tip. First five. Sure. Um, so if it's okay with you, I'll actually start with the uh, numbers two through four, uh, five. Um, Absolutely. You know, using social media, that's a given. I think, you know, we live in a ever digital world and it's a great way to stay in touch real time, uh, you know, narrow time zone, you know, across time zones and so forth. Um, on that note, as far as professional contacts and relationships are concerned, LinkedIn is actually a great tool and a couple of reasons why. One, obviously, uh, I call it the Facebook for professionals, uh, but, and, you know, you can go in there, you can connect with people, you can search people, uh, and once you build a network, you can actually sort them, which is pretty cool, uh, by industry, network, you just type in a keyword. So, for example, if you're looking for someone in banking, you type in bank and you will see all your banking contacts. It's pretty neat. Um, the other reason why I also like uh, LinkedIn is you can actually uh, follow groups or topics of interest. For example, I follow uh, Phil Johnson's emotional intelligence or EQ as it's known. That's a topic that intrigues me quite a bit. And that's just one among many topics I follow. So when you do that every day, what will happen is when you log back in, um, you will get alerts about that topic, what's happening in sectors, that discipline and field. It's a great, uh, it's a great way to stay abreast uh, on, you know, of the topic and the field and the practice and so on and so forth. The other is also um, thinking about uh, the network of networks. So when you're connecting with people and, um, you know, they have their own networks just as you do. And as your network grows, so does theirs and vice versa, because you know, uh, they get to, so for example, if they give you a recommendation or endorsement of a certain skill, and by the way, there are many in LinkedIn, it helps you cross, get cross-exposed or cross-exposure, if there's such an expression, across um, their networks and also um, fields or sectors tied to those words or skill sets. So really, it's, it's a great way to build what I call a dynamic network. And then also, of course, you, know, you can always schedule a meeting, get in touch with people, and um, one of the things I like to do, given that you know my, my career of two and a half decades has been sort of all over the place in so many different sectors and disciplines, uh, I love learning new things. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll try to fool the algorithm. Uh, I'll try to dabble on a certain topic a little too long because I want more free content. And so I get that content because I'm trying to learn and why pay for something if you're getting it for free? So uh, again, you know, LinkedIn is a great tool. Uh, so that's social media. Uh, and if you could put up the list again, I just want to make sure. Thank you. Uh, and then, of course, it's important that you keep your presence up to date. Um, um, so your job, make sure it's current. I mean, that's basic, right? Goes without saying. But if you were ever recognized for something or you did a project, uh, to the extent it doesn't violate any privacy or there are no confidentiality um, issues, you can post that a project there. You can upload a file. It's just 
same as attaching an attachment, I mean, uploading an attachment, but you can also list an award that is tied to maybe a particular job or a project you worked on. So it gives you a lot more dynamic exposure based on that. And then um, next on the list is, uh, let's see, keeping it casual and just having a conversation. I mean, it's as easy as that. So oftentimes what I do is I don't overly prepare. I just go in with my innate curiosity to, you know, when I meet someone, I mean, there are the basics. What do you do? Uh, oh, by the way, and Hawaii being a small place, whether you like it or not, you will find nexus points. Oh yeah, I know somebody and somebody. You want to have someone from that company? Or, you know, it's a, or we sit on the same committee board. So I don't think in Hawaii you have to do too much work to find that connection. And, and even if you don't, it's okay. I mean, then it just means that there is so much more you get to learn about each other. So don't be too shy. I mean, believe it or not, I'm actually an introvert, but I'm a type adaptive, so I can switch. And it's it's something I learned as I learned to open myself up to people, because when you open yourself up, people open up to you. So it's a two-way street. And so to that, you know, I built up a network, pretty vast network on LinkedIn, which is, I have about 26,000 followers and then about... Oh. 26, just about the same uh, amount of uh, connections, but they span uh, boundaries uh, across, um, you know, around the world. I've had uh, former students that um, I met during my, uh, you know, lecture tenure at Hawaii Pacific University, teaching the MBA program. My students who are running companies and, you know, we stay in touch and, you know, it's great. I, I just enjoy it. And then it also has a lot of tools built in in LinkedIn, for example, where you can congratulate people. So you don't have to remember people's birthdays, their work anniversaries. If they get promoted, automatically the notifications come about. And it's a great way to stay in touch, even though you might not have seen them for decades. So, um, and then I think the last one on the list, if you wouldn't mind putting that up, is following up, uh, just making sure that, I think it, you know, because of all these auto features, there are great ways, if you have a vast network, I do. I make it a point that, you know, I'm sending them work anniversary wishes and so forth. Every morning when I wake up, that's one of the things I do and end of the day. The reason why I do it twice is because of time zones, you know, international, you know, you wish someone a happy birthday. They're like, oh, that was two days ago. I'm sorry. I'm in Hawaii. So anyway, you get the idea. So the very first point in there, I do want to expand on that a little bit, uh, which is why I say, I guess you could say the best for last. So putting time into your existing uh, network, which you probably already have, your high school friends that you met, they all have their careers or doing something. And then your social relationships, don't take them for granted. You may, uh, so let's say you serve on a nonprofit board, or maybe you volunteer with them. They have a board, a governance entity, who are all made up of volunteers. They, they are uh, representative of our business community leaders. Get to know them. Talk to them. It's a great way to access a network that you're already given. Uh, beyond just, you know, doing your, which is great, you know, doing your usual volunteer work for the nonprofit and so forth. And just imagine if you meet 12 people who are influential business leaders, community leader, leaders, you get to tap into them uh, for advice. Uh, they could also become potentially your uh, sources of professional references, mentorship. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Now you take that scenario and you multiply it by if you were involved in, say, three organizations. Imagine the automatic network we already have, the default, that we often take for granted, but we're not necessarily working the network uh, that already exists around us. Um, 
you know, people uh, love Facebook for, you know, it's a great way to stay connected with friends and people you've met in high school and so forth. Like, imagine if you thought about it a little bit more intentionally about, hey, my high school friends, uh, I wonder where they're working. And, uh, you know, being able to make that because you already know them. You've had an experience, right? You've gotten to know them. Now you get to know them in a different context. So again, uh, just looking for those opportunities as a great way to build the asset, the network you already have. And once you see it, how it actually works in a dynamic way, the network builds exponentially a lot quicker. Yeah. So I hope that's helpful in terms of some of the highlights. Um, yeah, I did it. split it up. So I, I, and I do apologize, <laughs> no but I didn't go over that. Um, can we pull up the third slide? Because when you were talking, I noticed that you already went over this. So it, it looks like you know this like the back of your head. Um, is there anything else in here? I know the first one you kind of already mentioned, but the first point to um, share with people information that you think yep. may be of value to them. But let's pull up that third slide again. Mm -hmm. And um, Joy, if there's anything in there that you want to pull or um, highlight even further. You know, um, let's see. I would say the first one there, proactively sharing information that you think would be useful to others. So for example, um, say, uh, just off the top of my head, and it's going to be for, um, for confidentiality reason, it'll be part hypothetical, part real. So let's say there's a public <laughs> sector leader, uh, you know, and the individual is the chair of a certain committee, uh, and there are some development. Now, they're lawmakers, right? They're reacting to information that they're given, and they're making decisions and so forth. Um, and maybe you are in that particular industry and you're doing some work that might be of benefit to them. And it just hasn't hit the media yet, or maybe you're still in the prototypical testing phase or what have you. It might be helpful to share with them what that work is. And that may spark some conversation. They may involve other stakeholders. And before you know it, this idea that you are contemplating, evolving, growing, working on, uh, what have you, maybe now you have more people to react to it, or it could have the other, the opposite effect where, or a different way of looking at that impact where, hey, you know what, you were thinking about this project that would impact 100 people. Imagine if you did it uh, district-wide, we're talking about 20,000 lives each with resourcing. So the conversations, you never know where a simple, you know, what may seem like a, you know, meaningless, uh, just people talking may lead to something great. So don't ever discount yourself by thinking that, you know, that they're limited simply because people have their titles and defined roles. So I would, along those lines, say that maybe you share that information proactively. Now, I know that that's a very specific example. Other examples may be, maybe, uh, you know, a certain banker sits on a board and, you know, they know anything and everything about there is to know about banking. But perhaps in community, um, you know, the financial, uh, you know, the economic and financial crises that people are having. Maybe you have data, maybe you're a nonprofit leader that you're seeing certain trends evolving and you could share that with that individual, but don't automatically assume they know everything there is to know. They may know about their niche or the type of banking they do and it never hurts. So when you proactively share that information, they appreciate not only the fact that you've shared it, but also how it shows initiative in you anticipating a potential need they have. And that's a great way to start a, what I call a value-added relationship. 
where you start to build trust. Uh, trust doesn't just happen by saying, please trust me. I mean, it has to be demonstrated through action. So again, I know that that's, again, a different and yet specific example, but great way to show how you can be helpful to others. Don't, uh, don't automatically assume that just because you don't have a fancy title or a big title or you're not up in the hierarchy that you have nothing valuable to offer. You never know what, uh, what people may need. I mean, that's how I have learned by, uh, you know, I love sharing, so I'm always oversharing. And through that process, I've learned about what to share, when to share. And, you know, I mean, it's a learning experience, right? But over time, it helped me build a network of uh, trusted advisors, uh, thought partners, and also where I need advice. I have go-to folks, and they're not necessarily always the obvious subject matter experts or SMEs, but they're also people that um, have very different perspectives on things because they have dabbled in, again, going back to the multidisciplinary aspect. You know, your big picture is probably not as big as where their big picture. And, but, but it's amazing when you talk and you learn, it's just, oh, wow. There's always that sort of healthy curiosity, that wow factor, yeah. So be proactive, uh, always reach out, be helpful. Uh, people won't express um, sort of, uh, I mean, when you share something willingly, people will always be grateful. It may or may not come to, um, you know, it may or may not be useful to them, that's fine. It's the simple act of sharing that that's a great conversation starter and a great way to build value-added relationships. I, I appreciate that. This is a, a question that I thought about when I was reading your bio. So you have been, um, you have received a lot of accolades and awards over the years, whether it's um, your, well, through your professional efforts, through your personal efforts with boards and um, involvement in charitable causes. You know, we're talking like 20 for the next 20, 40 under 40. And I've had this conversation before with other people as well. How would one go about in being recognized for their efforts, whether at work or you know outside of that, without compromising the idea of humility? Okay, terrific question. I love it. I think if you focus on building your professional brand through what you do, the awards and accolades they automatically follow. Now, one may say that, well, that's easier said than done. Well, that speaks to the authenticity of how you find the balance to answer your question, you know, the humility with you know, needing to be differentiated and be known for something. I think if you pursue an award, you may or may not get it, but the question is, what does that award represent? If it's simply a fixture in your mind and a feather in the hat, for lack of a better expression, it'll remain exactly that. Um, without naming any names, there are a lot of folks that have been recognized for a lot of things. The question is, did it really create a meaningful impact because the meaningful impact you leave behind is what people will remember you for. The award is just sort of, um, you know, sort of the envelope that actually holds the money or, you know, the validation, if you will. So I think um, for me, I'll, I'll share this without mentioning my nominating organization. When I, when I was first nominated 40 under 40, um, the first question I asked was, what does it come with? And I, by the way, I didn't know much about 40 under 40 back then. This is at least 14 years ago, 15, give or take. Joy, you, you and, just uh, gave away how old you are. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Not exact date, though, but I guess one could extrapolate. So uh, one of the first things I asked was, does it come with money? And the answer was no. Does it come with free Hawaiian miles? No. Well, you get a free dinner out of it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, anyway, but, um, you know, the fact that someone sees value in you and 
wants to have you recognized because they've seen that is sort of the ultimate validation instead of you just going and nominating yourself. And not that there's any harm in doing that, but uh, for me, it's been mostly, uh, you know, nominated by external organizations or my employers or community organizations where I serve. And so, I'm, you know, I think, you know, my, um, the way I've grown up, I, I learned to be more selfless and giving up my time, talent and resources. And so naturally for me, it happened, the evolution of accumulating awards and recognitions has been a different journey than perhaps others where maybe you're in a certain industry. And uh, one needs to ask themselves, what is my benchmark of excellence? And you don't have to figure it out for your entire career. What, what do you, where do you wanna go? And being able to quantify that somehow in a tangible way. So whether it's an award, whether it's, um, you know, you're the youngest to do something. I mean, there are so many different ways to brand oneself, right? Professional branding. I think keeping that in mind will help you be more intentional than just pursuing awards simply to sort of um, add more, uh, <laughs> add more to your resume and brand. And I think the more you enact that authentically. So for example, if you're known for someone that does a lot of community service, it's not a question of if sooner or later, I mean, you are recognized, you are valued. And there are people who will recognize you for that. But if you make recognition the ultimate goal, you won't get past that. So always think beyond. And those are just things you pick up on the way. Imagine uh, it's sort of like being on a bus tour and stopping by many lunch wagons along the way, picking up food. But, uh, but really, it's, you know, it's the journey that you're enjoying, not just fixated on one particular lunch wagon. I know it's, a, it's an awkward analogy, but that's the way I look at it. And uh, I think, you know, it'll just help you, you know, have a more authentic brand. And brand is, you know, a lot of times when I ask people, by the way, what's your professional brand? Oftentimes you will hear them just tell you their job title. That's not your brand. That's just, you're just mentioning the job you have for the employer where you work. What do you stand for? And it's, it's, a, it's in a constant state of evolution. You will need to ask yourself. So today it may be, oh, I love um, volunteering. Tomorrow, maybe I love volunteering, but I want to make a difference in a certain sector. So over time, as we aggregate experience, we learn more about ourselves and the world. I think it helps us um, figure out what it is and who it is that we represent. And, it, and branding is not what you call yourself. It's how people perceive you. Very important distinction. Um, you, know, you may think that you're the best, uh, I don't know, finance person, but most people think of you as now you're a very transactional person. So your your um, you know your assessment of yourself and who you represent, uh, there may be a big gap between that and how you're broadly perceived. And uh, that perception is built uh, based on you know your authentic uh, practice of self and uh, you know just doing it consistently. Yeah. So many gems today from this conversation, Joy. Let's pull up that last. Slide. If people would like to get a hold of you, is it the best way to go about it? Yes, absolutely. I'm pretty accessible. You can also look, uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I, you know, one of the reasons why my personal email and it's not here, which is on LinkedIn, is locate joy. You know, people are always looking for me, so I. I oh, I get it. it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, if you get in touch with me, anything I can do to help, uh, always happy to. That's me. 
And uh, thank you for having me in the show, Kathleen. Really appreciate it. Of course, absolutely. Is there anything else that you would like to add that I may have missed? Uh, no, I think you've been pretty exhaustive and uh, you know, you've asked a lot of questions, so I appreciate that. I think the one last thing I would uh, perhaps leave a thought behind is me personally, my personal motto is I aspire to inspire, I live to give. And so, you know, sort of, you know, I try to, um, you know, instill that in others as much as possible. And that's how I have found my meaning, my sort of north, my compass, who I, you know, what I stand for, my purpose in life and everything. So I hope that we can, we can find that for ourselves. And I wish all the viewers the best. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks again for this opportunity. It was a pleasure. It was our pleasure, Joy. Thank you again for being on the show. Joy Burwa, President and COO of Finance Insurance. Thank you also to Jay Fidel and the staff at ThinkTech Hawaii for making programs like this possible. Today we had Eric and Haley who helped us with this program. Until next time, aloha. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.